from the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. This episode, we welcome Will Walker. Will is the president and CEO of W.T. Walker Group. He's also currently the chair of the, the Forging Industry Association. And we have a great conversation. We talk about his third-generation business. Uh, we talk trade and obviously steel and aluminum tariffs. Okay, here we go. Will Walker. Will Walker, thanks for coming into 14th and G. It's great to be with you. Okay, so tell me about, let's start with the basics. Tell me about your company. I am with a company called Walker Forge, which was started 69 years ago by my late grandfather, Gordon Walker. We have 400 employees, and we make steel forgings for a variety of different customers, ranging from uh, customers in the energy area, oil and gas exploration, to the rail car manufacturing, off-road construction, um, truck, um, agricultural, you name it. Uh, the way I like to explain it is everything except passenger cars and airplanes have Walker forgings in them. Oh, that's pretty cool. So it's a family business, been around for a long time. Where are you guys located? Milwaukee. You say you're doing forgings and it's and it's in all this stuff for for the layman or we can read it as your podcast host here. What's a forging? Um, what's the process of that? Um, you know, uh, who does it? Is it a you know you've been doing the same thing for for thirty years, forty years? It's now? a great question. Yeah. Um, forging is one of the oldest processes. Uh, it it actually dates back thousands of years. It's the working of heated metal and uh, industrial forging started in the industrial revolution in the mid 1850s with the invention of the steam engine sure and uh, the forging process is really just heating metal and then forming it to various shapes and sizes either using uh, a, a, well I would say specialized equipment that presses the, the material into the desired shape so how's business Business, I'm thankful to say, is is very good. Uh, the last couple years have been uh, very busy, and uh, we're starting to see a little bit of softening now, but nothing too uh, too dramatic. But it's been a, a good couple years. It's a cyclical industry. So why is that? I wonder. Industries that we serve, uh, if you think about it, uh, the the rail industry, the energy industry, the truck industry, all of these industries tend to be cyclical they and so the uh, the forging industry uh, at least my area of the forging industry uh, follows that now one thing I should point out is we are a steel forger and there are many kinds of materials that that are forged uh, there's aluminum and a lot of aluminum forgings go into aerospace applications because it's lighter I assume exactly right? yep. exactly and and many other materials as well but uh, I would say that steel, and aluminum are probably, my guess is, that the two most common materials that are forged. And one more question on the business, then we'll move to why you're here in town. Um, so did you see the downturn in 2007 and, and the rest of the economy did? And is that why you're, you're, does your business 
pop back up because people say, hey, you know what, we're good with what we need. You know, in 2007, 2008, they're like, you know, we're gonna, we're not gonna fix new stuff, we're not gonna buy new stuff, uh, and we're gonna go out and get our guys to forge it in 2010, 2011, 2012 when things start to move around. Is that well reasonable or good, no? Good question. The uh, 2007-2008 downturn was was a tough time for everybody, uh, whether you were in finance or manufacturing. Uh, in our end of manufacturing, we bounced back very quickly because if you recall, the energy area was still very, very strong oh, sure. back in 2000, mm -hmm. 2008. And, uh, and so, yes, we rebounded very well from that. And then uh, probably the most recent uh, difficult time frame was in the 2015-2016 time frame when, when energy went from, I think oil prices went from $100 down to 27 And what a lot of people don't realize is how many spillover effects and how interrelated energy is to other parts of our economy. I'll give you some examples. When oil prices were very high, the rail industry was going great guns because uh, you needed tanker cars to sure. move oil. Yeah. And then uh, because the tanker cars were so filled up, you couldn't always ship your product by rail, and then you needed to ship it by tractor trailers sure. uh, over the road. So you had both those industries, rail and truck, booming at that time and then when energy slowed down with the decrease in oil prices that that negatively affected truck demand and uh, and also rail as well interesting okay so you're in DC wearing your your hat from the forging industry association we just tell me who who's who's FIA and and what do you what are you up, up to in town the forging industry association is uh, the the trade association that represents uh, forging companies, appropriately enough. <laughs> We've been... Uh, Creatively named, Forging Industry. And I am serving a, a one-year term as the as the chairman of the Forging Industry Association. Interestingly, I have to, have to make a little plug here. My late grandfather, Gordon Walker, was the chair of the FIA in 1958. And my father, Willard Walker, uh, became the chair of the FIA in 1978. And then uh, it was my opportunity to, to become chair in, in 2018. Anyway, the FIA dates back its existence to uh, 1913. And the FIA represents approximately 200 uh, forgers and forging suppliers mm -hmm. uh, who have banded together to, to promote forging and, and uh, advance our, our interests. And so I'm in town each year we come to Washington to meet with our legislators and talk about things that are important to us as manufacturers and as forgers. And uh, so that's why I'm here today. So let's take through some of the bigger issues, right? So um, these tariffs, steel and aluminum tariffs, you mentioned steel and aluminum earlier. That's got to be really affecting your business or certainly affecting how you plan your business. It has had a significant impact. It's, it's put us in, I will say, a, a fairly challenging position. Um, roughly a year or so ago, year and a half ago, the, the 232 tariffs went into effect, and those affect both steel and aluminum. Basically, what it does is it keeps U.S. importers being able to, to bring in steel from overseas duty-free, they're subject to tariffs. We buy over 100 million pounds a year of steel. And, uh, and so when these tariffs went into effect, it basically uh, 
meant that that our suppliers, all of whom are domestic, we don't buy foreign steel. Okay. But our steel suppliers, because they were now, shall we say, protected uh, from uh, foreign uh, competition, uh, they, as you might expect, chose to raise their prices. Sure. They ro- raised their prices in 2018 and also in 2019. And so the, the difficulty that that puts us under is we wind up having to pay more for our feedstock, more for our raw material. And then the 232 tariffs, at least with respect to steel, they do not extend further downstream to include uh, steel products like okay. forgings, sure. which of course means then that, that uh, if you're a steel forging company in China or a steel forging company in Korea, you have all of a sudden become much more competitive vis-a-vis uh, an American uh, producer because the American producer is paying higher prices for steel and the foreign producer is not, and, and they can ship their uh, products, their forgings into the United States without being subject to the 232 tariffs. So you asked a short question, but yes, it's, it's really, it's made life a little bit more challenging. And, and really where we are is we would never second guess the administration uh, in t- about national security if the administration believes that 232 tariffs uh, should be levied on, on foreign steel and aluminum, then fine. But but what we would encourage is for that same 232 protection to be extended down to uh, downstream to to companies like ours who who buy steel and we need the same kind of consideration that the steel companies do. And the reason why we need it is because we also are very, very important to national security. Our military wouldn't function uh, without forgings. Mm. So we have a lot of content in everything from tanks to uh, naval vessels, you name it. And, and that's just the military side of the equation. The, the uh, forgings go into critical infrastructure, sure too. sure roads, bridges, all that exactly. kind of stuff, Exactly. Right? You can't build roads and bridges and, and other important systems, uh, infrastructure, uh, without forgings. We're essential to national security, both with respect to the military, but also with respect to critical infrastructure. So we feel like, hey, if it's, if it's important to protect the steel industry and give them some, some uh, help w- w- uh, regarding, regarding foreign competition, then please look at, at downstream products as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, somebody, who gives, somebody who produces the actual steel and then all you, do, you guys are doing, I don't mean to minimize this, sure. but you're just taking that steel and bending it into a different position and you're in a different business place than those guys are. Absolutely. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so we've mentioned tariffs. Um, what about trade? Um, the president's talked about um, this new USMCA. I assume um, you guys are moving stuff um, around between Canada and Mexico all the time. And I assume kind of having a USMCA is better than or having a trade agreement between the three, three countries is better than not having one. Um, You're right. I mean, w- we support uh, it, and there's a lot of support in the business community for the USMCA. So, so we support the USMCA. Uh, we encourage the administration to work toward a, a new steel trade relationship with Canada and Mexico that better accounts for our 
economic interdependence and strategic priorities. Now, the USMCA that is has got a lot of content that, that deals with automotives. There, yep. there are a lot of automotive provisions, but there are many other sectors, whether it be rail or what have you, that um, are actually finding themselves uh, incented to go down to Mexico and assemble forgings and other things in Mexico and ship them on into the United States. And, you know, the the uh, administration has has put into effect these 301 curbs. Yep. And uh, the forging industry actually has been benefited somewhat, not a lot, by that. The, I think the third list uh, levied 10% tariffs, which are fairly moderate, fairly mild, on Chinese forgings. The thing is, probably only a third of the forgings that come into the United States are uh, from China. The, most of them come from elsewhere. So that while that is helpful, it's not it's not a game changer. And uh, so, so we talk about the interrelationship. We have friends and forgers, some of our Trade association members are, are located in Mexico and in Canada. Sure. And so while we we uh, wish them a, a good business, we also don't want to see either country become a a staging ground for um, you know product that comes in overseas that's dumped or illegally subsidized. So when you took over this company, when did you take over the company? I took over the company in 2001. So you took over a 60-year-old company or something like that? Uh, I would say actually about 50. 50 years? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So did you ever imagine when you took over a 50-year-old company that you'd have to be yeah, uh, conversations that the president's having with China or or uh, trade negotiations with three other countries would affect your business as much? I mean, it just feels to me like maybe you did. Maybe because you, you grew up in it, maybe you knew it was a global thing. But no. for me, it feels like the president has a conversation you know, with China, and now your business has to react to that. The world, the world has changed so much. That's a very insightful question. Uh, you know, the, the world has gotten so much smaller with uh, global communications sure. and the Internet. And... Uh, uh, instantaneous information flow. In some ways, it's it's been a positive, and in other ways, it's made things a lot more challenging. Uh, the the what goes on in China or in in Korea uh, today can can affect us just weeks or months down the road. Sure. And and so, uh, no. To answer your question, I never thought that that uh, the world would get quite this small, <laughs> but it sure makes it interesting, though. So, you know, I'm fascinated with your company and, and with uh, the, the industry in general. You guys have basically been doing a very similar product for 60 years now, right? You know, you've yes. been doing, there, there's been modifications, but mostly what you're doing is similar to what you were doing before. I wonder what you think about the company or the industry as you represent the industry here going forward. What's it look like 20 years from now? Great question. Um, I would say that uh, I expect a continuation of, of what we've seen over the last 30 years. And what have we seen over the last 30 years? We've seen um, more uh, productivity enhancing technologies be applied so that we, uh, like most manufacturers, can do, can put out more output with the same number or fewer sure. employees. And you've seen that all across manufacturing. If you think about it, there's a, there's a bit of a misconception that that manufacturing in this country is going away. It's mm -hmm. n it's really not. You've got right now more output 
in the U.S. more manufactured output than you ever have. And what's different, though, is we don't require as many people to um, to create that output. And, yep. and to, in the same way, you've seen uh, uh, reduced labor inputs in, in the agricultural industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you also see that now. And it's been true over the last 30 years. And I expect that to continue. Manufacturing and forging in particular have become very high tech. We use robotics. We use sensors. Uh, we use uh, ERP systems. We use what's uh, an ERP system? Enterprise re- resource planning sure. systems. Okay. Th- that all of which combine to help us create more value uh, with with less direct labor. One thing I will say is that the the need for people in our business is not going away. I was just going to ask you that question. It's definitely not. In fact, number of unfilled positions in in our industry and in 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 manufacturing in general is perhaps higher than it's ever been. And we need good people, we need skilled people, and really a big issue. It's probably the number one issue that uh, forgers face. It's the people issue, and I think is driven by demographics uh you know the baby boomers are are, they've been working a long time and they're retiring in droves and so they need running for president depending on running (laughs) for president exactly Uh, they need to be have successors put in place but then the other thing too that i think has has changed over time is this uh this thought process this mindset that everybody has to go to college yeah i wanted to ask you about that actually so there's a lot of talk in town about apprenticeships and what is that a place you feel like there could be a real fruitful um relationship be it with community colleges or or wherever else you potentially work? Because my guess is you need forgers, but you also need, as this gets more automated, you need, and I'm suggesting this, so I don't know, you need forgers, but you also need somebody to, like, uh, run the machinery that is now getting more automated. Uh, you are spot on. That's absolutely right. Historically, th- there was that, that old uh, adage that, if, if you didn't study hard, you're going to wind up working. You, you wouldn't have any choice but to wind up working in a factory. And, yeah. and, and maybe that, that was the thought process in 1960 or 1970, but the world has changed quite a bit. In, in manufacturing today and in the forging industry, uh, there are outstanding jobs that offer high pay and great benefits, and uh, many of them are, are hard to fill. And they're hard to fill because uh, the because of the thought process, the mindset that I just spoke about. Sure. Everybody thinks that they need to go to college, or maybe not everybody, but too many people. And uh, there are downsides to that. Uh, there, you incur quite a bit of student debt. I mean, I think uh, student loans are now well over a trillion dollars. And I've seen the data, and and basically, uh, there are many people that that. Put themselves through school with loans 30, 35, 40 years old, and, sure. and they're not even close to paying those debts yeah. off. And it impacts their ability to, yeah. to, to buy a home or, yeah. or to take out credit. You know, manufacturing offers an alternative, an alternative path, but we need to do a better job of preparing our students for careers in manufacturing. And what does that mean? I think Germany actually has something to teach us in this regard. In Germany, they're well known for their their model of apprenticeship. Yeah, absolutely. And it 
basically at age 14 or 15 in Germany, students are, are evaluated and, and given the opportunity to choose between pursuing a university path versus a technical path. Yep. And, uh, and, and here in the United States, we haven't really approached it that way. It's starting, the conversation is starting. I think people, more and more people are beginning to realize and policymakers are beginning to, to understand that there are really good opportunities and not everybody has to go the traditional four-year university route. There's technical school, sure. there's vocational school. And what I'd like to see is, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on at the local level. The, the kinds of, of incentives and advantages that are being given to, to folks to go to college, uh, we should we should try and put non-traditional, technical, two-year college, vocational type. Put that on an equal playing field. Sure. Support it in the same way. There's a, uh, uh, as I understand, there's a bill that uh, I think Senator Kane, Senator Portman, have have introduced called uh, called the Jumpstart Our Businesses by Supporting Students Act. And that acronym is JOBS Act. <laughs> very, very A very Washington yes. situation there, yes. And uh, this bipartisan bill would expand the eligibility of Pell Grants to include students enrolled in short-term skills and job training programs that lead to industry-based credentials. So that's a perfect example of something that the federal government could do to support and encourage yep. the type of, of uh, people who want to pursue a, a career in manufacturing and who realize that there is another path beyond the four-year degree. So you're talking through your workforce and um, and you're talking through folks who are coming into the workforce. Do you also think, um, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll lead you with the question anyway. Do you also think that a middle kind of mid-career retraining needs to happen too? Because it feels to me like as automation happens, there's going to be some chunk of the of the world that are caught in between. And I think we're all going to have to become lifelong learners and just continue to learn as we go. Um, but do your folks, do you have you start to see where, hey, there's a stopping point here. I really wish folks we could send people away for, let's say, six weeks to learn whatever the next step is. Education for us is, is constant. Yep. Uh, we, we invest a lot of money and, and, and training our employees. And it's not a static kind of thing, as you point out. It, uh, technology is constantly changing unless you uh, have an educated workforce that is up on the latest technology, then you're gonna be, you're gonna be years behind your sure. competition. So yes, um, whether it's seminars or, or um, actual you know, certifications yep. that people need to get, uh, that, is, that is the only way that you can remain competitive. And you know, to the extent that state, local, and, and, and federal government leaders can, can support that, that would be important as well. A, a lot of what's happening now, I think, is driven by employers. And of course, that's, that's the way it should be. I yep. mean, who has more interest in their workforce than the employers? Sure. Nobody. The employer has to be the, the catalyst and has to be at the center of this conversation. Uh, businesses and trade associations should have a seat on workforce investment boards, and they should be involved in, and take a formal role in developing education curricula 
in training policy. It makes sense. I mean, if you're running a technical college, you're running a community college in the neighborhood where you guys are, for example, it'd be great for them to bring you and elected leaders and whoever else together and say, what do you guys need and how do we have to train them? Exactly. That's where it has to start. Yeah. It has to start with w what do the employers need? Let them drive the demand. Let them drive the curricula. So last question here. Um, do you have kids, Will? I have three boys. Okay. So do you think one of them will run this business? I you? certainly hope so. Uh, you certainly can't stop. I mean, you're the third generation now, right? Well, that's uh, that's what I keep telling them. So are they in the business? Actually, my oldest child, none of my children are in the business. They've okay. each spent time in the business yep. uh, during their school years and whatnot. They, they've spent time. But we have this philosophy, and I think it's a good, it's almost a best practice in my opinion, and that is that if you have a family business, it's great. And, and, and very positive to encourage the the next generation to do something else first, whatever it is. And if sure. it's related to the business, great. But go out on your own, get a job, work for somebody else, learn about the world, and, and let let somebody else tell my children <laughs> the importance of being at work on time. <laughs> to tuck their shirt in exactly. and things like that, right? Exactly. exactly. But uh, my hope is that at some point one of my children will will enter the business there there's a, a good probability that uh, one of them will in fact do that oh that's great well will walker president ceo of wt walker group and the chair uh, of the forging industry association thanks a lot for coming in man thank you I want to thank Will for coming into 14th and G. Um, it's not often we get to talk to somebody who's had a family business operating for 60 plus years. If you're looking for me, my email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, we'll be sitting right here at 14th and G.